podcast at the intersection of Christianity, the writing life, and the wide world of books. I'm your host, Ben Bishop. Pretty much everybody that I had on this podcast for my first season was someone who I went into the production of the season uh, excited to interview and who I you know, had on my my short list, essentially, of people that I wanted to ask to be guests. Sarah Billups, who I talk with in today's conversation, was someone whose work I came to in a totally different way. Uh, when I was about halfway through posting these episodes, a friend of mine who I later discovered turned out to be a mutual friend of Sarah and I's turned me on to a website that had published her work, and I just happened to come across one of her essays on this website and was absolutely floored by it. It's an essay in which she talks about uh, writing, but also the act of trying to get published. And we talk extensively about that essay and a lot of the things that it brought up for me uh, in this interview. So I won't give too much more of an intro. I felt like this is probably one of the interviews in which I get a little bit more personal than I have, uh, even than in some some of the other conversations I've had with folks. I hope you enjoy it. Here's Sarah Billups. Sarah Billups, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to talk to you. Yes, I've been looking forward to this. And uh, I want to explain for listeners how it is that I came across your work. Because I would say it's, I mean, at least a month ago, maybe two weeks ago, I'd never heard of you. I'd never come across your work. And so what happened that led to this conversation is that a friend of mine who turned out to be a mutual friend of ours, though I did not know it at the time, a guy named Josh, was hanging out with me in my backyard, visiting me here in Portland. And he, in the course of a long winding conversation, um, mentioned this web publication or this, this website slash journal called Extasis. Don't even know if I'm entirely pronouncing that right. Um, He's like, do you, do you know, if have you ever heard of Extasis? Because he and I are always trading, you know, reading suggestions and we're into to journalism and read lots of essays. And, and I said, no, I, I've never heard of that. And he's like, oh, there's this Canadian guy who's got this, this really cool journal. Just check it out. So I did, of course. And I one of the first pieces that I ended up actually reading was by someone named Sarah Billups. <laughs> and it was mm-hmm. a piece you published called The Irresistible Peril of Publishing. Mm-hmm. And that essay struck such a deep chord in me that I, I thought to myself, oh my goodness, I, I would love to have this woman on my podcast as a guest. I have to contact her. Turns out we have other mutual friends, so it's a small world. But that essay uh, it will really be kind of the, the jumping off point for this conversation. You know, who knows where we'll go, but there are just kind of a, f- a few huge things that, again, I personally found deeply resonant, um, partially for personal reasons, which we, we may get into a little bit. I sense that this could be uh, a, little bit, a little bit more of like a pastoral is the wrong word, but like a psychotherapeutic kind of uh, opportunity <laughs> to talk with somebody else who, who seems to maybe have had some similar thoughts or experiences to those that I've had, which I think maybe people in the general public have not had. And so it will be it will be interesting to particularly I think this episode for other writers to listen to, not just lovers of lovers of the word. Um, but just a little background, and this is, you know, maybe you can flesh some of this out for me, but my understanding is generally that you are a freelance writer based in Seattle. You've been there for a good fifteen years now. You've done uh, 
a fair range of writing. So a good bit of food writing, what I would describe as what seems to be food writing and, uh, and just broader cultural writing. You've done some writing about music. And then you have also distinctively written a bit about your Christian faith. And, and almost on a, a, a meta level, you've written about the experience of being a Christian, both being a Christian who's trying to get published and just kind of the perils and pitfalls and experience of doing that. And even more generally, but also somewhat specifically, kind of this tension between uh, the act or pull to write as distinct from the further pull to actually get your work published. And both of those things, both the, the element of, of how Christianity impinges on or interacts with the work of the, or kind of the experience of the working writer, and just, you know, the, as you put it in your title, the, the irresistible peril of publishing are themes in that essay. So, but, but, you know, kind of before we launch, is there anything else that's important for people to understand about your CV, your bio as a writer, and kind of how it's shaped who you are today as a writer that, that I have not covered there? Mm-hmm. Well, there are there are a few you know uh, interesting twists and turns that have um, kind of brought me to this point, and I actually um, have a nonprofit. Ma- I you know like many writers have been toggling back and forth between the idea of an MFA for a long time, um, but decided to uh, to go back and get a master's in nonprofit leadership. So I work um, in communications for a foundation. So I actually have a full time job, and then get up quite early or try to, try to get up quite early to write and work on publishing on the on the weekends, work on pitching and and writing some essays. So that's been an interesting juggle. Um but I um you know I uh, started out as an English major uh you know editing our college's literary magazine. I went to a small Christian liberal arts college in the Midwest and then uh decided to go to the NYU Publishing Institute the summer after I finished college um back in 2000 with uh, you know I've always been quite interested in the publishing industry and in journalism and in that industry and space and so I I went for the summer and decided instead of staying to get a job, like many of my cohort, um, moved to the middle of nowhere in Indiana, to Muncie, Indiana, to um, to be near my boyfriend, who had become my husband, who was doing an internship program at the church we attended. So I, instead of staying in New York um, in my 20s, decided to apply for an Indiana Arts Commission grant and start a literary magazine called Country Feedback uh, after the R.A.M. song. And so I, um, for a couple of years, had that funded um, through a local arts organization and the Arts Commission, and then uh, went on to, to start a small press with some friends called Bellywater Press. And uh, we uh, bought the rights to reprint uh, a book called Letters to Street Christians, which is the um, the first, um, the, the epistles written kind of in hippie speak by some Jesus people. It was published in the 70s by Zondervan, and we uh, we reprinted that and kind of launched a little business based on the sales. Um, and a couple of friends uh uh, included um, uh, my friend Gayla, whose brother Josh Geralds was just getting started um, as a musician, and then my friend Michelle, who went on to marry Josh. So we went on to re- release one of Josh's EPs and had a pretty uh, fun time kind of going project to project. So I <laughs> have a fun memory of being at one of the first Faith and Writing Fests at Kelvin, and we were, I think, next to like Baker Academic and some other 
uh, sort of traditional Christian presses like Zondervan with this very homespun sort of vintage suitcases flipped open with uh, CDs and hippie Bibles. So it was a really interesting introduction into that world. So the whole way through, I've had this through line of kind of this interesting middle space between um, sort of creative nonfiction and self-publishing and independent presses and publishing and then moving into uh, sort of this new kind of new world of, of, of all of the online spaces that we all sort of uh, thrive in these days. So that's a little bit of before, which has kind of been a fun, a fun thing to think back on as I was prepping for our call. You have dabbled even more widely than I had realized. And you have, <laughs> yeah, you have, a, it sounds like a rich set of experiences. Yeah. From across different, even, even a broader set of experiences from across the world uh, of publishing than I had realized. So that's, that's wonderful. And that will bring even more context here. Totally. Yeah. A lot of that was just, you know, playing around as a kid and there, you know, living in a small town where there's not a lot going on, there's a lot of freedom to really create something that could be valuable to a small community and kind of seeing how to scale it. So those were good lessons for sure. In this essay that I've referred to several times now, you talk about, I mean, there's a number of things that people could take out of it, but three of the big points that I took away were this general idea of what writing as a practice or as an act can and what it cannot do for someone on a kind of existential level, the holes it can and cannot fill. And then secondly, you talk openly about the actual frustrations of, of trying to get published and how difficult that can be and kind of the tension between sort of the way in which every writer who is attempting to get published and not having some kind of miraculous immediate success has to process and navigate and, and kind of do a cost-benefit analysis on the costs of trying to actually get published and get your work out there. And then thirdly, you go one step further and talk about how writing explicitly as a Christian both creates opportunities but can also feel limiting and at times vulnerable and scary. So all th I'd like to talk about all three of those things. And before we do, or as kind of a, a springboard, I, I think I should just animate the conversation from the get-go by, by broadly asking you, why do you write? Yes, uh, I write uh, because I have to, because it's a creative act and it's an also a very active way for me to process. I think that's why a lot of us write. Um, so the the writing that I mean when I say that is certainly uh, journaling or responding to an article or something that I might see um, in the media, especially running up to the election or something that I might hear in a sermon or hear a friend say. Um, but I, I I share the writing then to, to serve a reader. So I, I have a a sort of clear line between the the stuff that I choose to write about um, because I feel a sort of impulse to do so. It's just the way that I'm wired. Um, and then sort of filtering as to what makes sense then to, to sort of broadcast to other people, I suppose. Um, uh, and I write because it brings me uh, a sense of uh, re release and joy um, at its best. It can also be incredibly frustrating, but there's something in the practice that makes me kind of keep going, I suppose. I think that's true for a lot of us. I think it is. And I think answering that question, I've, I've realized, and I think it's sort of, a, it's been a cascading or continual coming back to maybe deeper and deeper layers of the onion around that question for myself. Uh, why do I write? And I've, as part of that, realized that I, I think there's just no way that you can 
get to happiness or contentment or fulfillment as it regards your writing without kind of going through that question. You have to have an answer to that question. And it really, it ties in with, certainly for me, and, and again, I think to echo your language for a lot of us, for a lot of writers, with questions of ambition. What is the, who, what do I hope for my writing? How many people do I hope will read it? What will their response be? Will I make any money off of this? What kinds of places can I get my work into? Um, you talk, I, I think mostly, most explicitly in your essay, you, you mentioned a few times uh, the process of trying to publish book length work, trying to get a book deal. Um, but it's, you know, there's certainly a lot of hoops to jump through and, and difficult processes just to get essays or, or sort of shorter pieces published. So, but let's, let's hold on this idea of uh, there, <laughs> there actually being, you know, without any irony, a lot of good, a lot of happiness and fulfillment, which you've already started to touch on it, that can come from writing. It, it is to the extent in part because it's just an innate pull for some of us. And a, and a creative act there can be in a kind of joy in it but tell me for for you in your own experience what are some of the ways in which writing can in fact bring happiness or fulfillment and maybe as kind of a another way of phrasing that what do you get out of writing that keeps you coming back to the page mm-hmm. uh yeah that's i love that question i mean i'm thinking about you know three things right away i mean the the first is um just again, enjoying kind of parts of my own creative output, um, which I think a lot of us feel kind of the the play involved in creativity. Or of, you know, I was uh, I was trying to write something yesterday, um, and I wasn't sure if it was coming together. But then I looked back and I wrote maybe five paragraphs, and they were okay. But there was one line that I really loved, and you know, I just that that moment of kind of when we can all stand back and say, oh you know, that's, that's sticking in my mind. Like maybe I'll trash the rest, but I love that line. And I think about it for days after, um, there's something really gratifying that brings joy in that. Um, then I think about sort of the, uh, the positivity that comes when I might write something, um, that would impact someone's faith or that I would feel a connection with someone, uh, on social media, that something I wrote resonated or somebody would email saying something really stuck with them is incredibly lovely. And then, um, uh, and then, you know, at, at, on a deeper level, there have been a few times when folks have shared that they've um, been more encouraged to uh, identify as a Christian publicly or to to really start to claim a part of their faith that is complicated and quite hard to do for many of us. And 2020 uh, has been incredible, made me incredibly happy. So, so, you know, those have just been a few, a few examples, just a few things that come to mind. So it's an innate kind of primal creative joy in the in the in the craft and there's also a, a human connection component slash you know a feeling maybe of usefulness or utility that the writing is actually accomplishing something good in the word in yeah the word. absolutely yeah absolutely you quote Anne Lamott well-known writer um extensively in this essay and um she, you, you have a pretty lengthy pull quote where she's, she's talking about the ways in which writing will not make people happy. And she is, you know, although she's just one person, she's relatively well positioned to answer that question because she's had a lot of success. She's sold a lot of books. She's published many books. Um, and I think it might be worth me, me reading this quote and then we can kind of chew on it. But she, she, um, well, your phrasing is that she, she warns against publishing to fill a void. So she says, quote, publication 
this is Anne Lamont, publication and temporary creative successes are something you have to recover from. They kill as many people as not. They will hurt, damage, and change you in ways you cannot imagine. It's also a miracle to get your work published. So just try to bust yourself gently of the fantasy that publication will heal you, that it will fill the Swiss cheesy holes inside of you. It cannot, it won't, but writing can. So she's making a distinction between publishing and writing. Um, Why did you include that, and what in your experience... I guess the real question is what in your experience resonates with that? Mm-hmm. It's the best, I, it's the best quote ever. I think it was an excellent quote, but then she talks about filling the Swiss cheesy holes inside of you. And it, <laughs> it was like elevated to like quote of all time status for me. Um, uh, but uh, you know, the way that I think about uh, the work of being a writer and trying to pursue that as a vocation is really in two separate buckets. There's the writing practice, getting up early or making a goal or thinking of ideas or um, thinking about what will resonate and serve a reader. Um, And then there's the publishing bucket, which is certainly a business and, um, and involves thinking about the sort of fine line between what you're willing to say and do to resonate and connect, um, but without compromising um, what might feel central to the work that you do and who you are. Um, So, you know, Publish. I mean, I, I'm starting to write a, a book proposal, and it's essentially a business document. You know, it'll be presented to agents um, uh, if it goes well and resonates, if the idea resonates, and then it'll be presented to a pub board where it will be decided based on components including a marketing plan, social media connections, or leverage. Um, there's a, a portion where you list anybody you know that might possibly be, you know, as you as you, as you may have said, might possibly be. Uh, able to blurb your book or promote it. Um, so the, the way that I think about, about that quote and what really resonates is uh, writing, you know, may fill you up or feel like, make you feel like you're contributing something, but there's nothing that can sort of slash a person's ego or um, make them feel more comfortable with failure faster than just a pitching the publications and having rejection letters, but also just the process of kind of what you have to sort of go through how you have to bolster yourself emotionally and spiritually to sort of enter the business of publishing and and uh, just be really realistic about it. So I, I guess I kind of uh, toggle between both of those sides of my brain and and think about that balance all the time. So that's why that quote really, really stuck with me. Yeah. I mean, this is just taking us straight, straight into that second point um, of, you know, the, the frustrations of trying to get published specifically which you you talk at length about and you know I I will share that I have part of again part of why I resonated so deeply with it was that I've just had a huge amount of frustration in my own life of trying to trying to get published and feeling a, a, a ton of failure around that feeling a ton of frustration I think one of the things for me that has been most difficult is just the actual act of pitching there's there is a um well both in the you know both in the world of 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 nonfiction essays and publications where you are s- essentially sending a, a short proposal or idea to an editor and attempting to convince them that you can write a longer piece o- or in the case of for book length work whether it's um you know not nonfiction proposal that you'd like help selling or an actual novel that you've written trying to pitch literary agents there's just 
for me, again, at least there's been a huge amount of, there's just so much uncertainty. So a huge amount of silence. Not, I'm, I'm talking not even rejection in the form of form rejections, let alone personal rejections. You will just literally spend hours crafting proposals or, or honing a query letter as it's called and sending it out. And you just literally won't even hear back from these human beings, which is totally a, an industry standard thing. And it's, and there are reasons for that, but it is incredibly demoralizing. Um, and that's just, and that's just kind of one aspect. So I could go on at length and, and maybe I'll share more later, but I, part of why I resonated, you know, yet one more reason why I resonated with your piece was just that, that sense of um, rejection and failure that you, that you touch on. Um, and that is kind of part of the risk of trying to get published is, is real and it's painful because it hurts to, it hurts to, to try when you actually care. It's not as if, it's not as if you don't, it's hard to envision people going to the amount of work it takes to get published in a serious publication if they don't actually want to. And so when, when you don't, it can be, it can be really painful. Yeah, I mean, I wish I could um, just, I wish I could show you a screenshot of the tracking page I have with pitches and who I pitched to um, and how many people responded. I mean, I, can, I think in that case, really considering a, a no written in email form is actually, a, a, I consider a success in its own way. <laughs> I um I don't remember what it was. I I tried to pitch something to the op-ed editor of the Washington Post. It was the 50th anniversary of Hal Lindsey's late great Planet Earth, and I wrote something about growing up as an end times kid, which is a whole other topic. You know, with a dad that was pretty obsessed with end times, like a lot of kids in our generation. And uh, the editor wrote back and said, "We had we just posted something similar, uh, but please keep pitching." And I just I ran downstairs and I told my husband, I said, "This is like the best day." This is the best day because you said keep pitching. So I would just, you know, say to listeners that are pitching, if you get something back, that means you're on the right track and to keep going. And eventually you'll get a yes. I don't know that I'll ever get a yes from the Washington Post op-ed, but the editor, but still some some other version of that maybe, maybe someday. Um, but for I think another thing that, you know, as you're talking, I'm just, I'm thinking about the fact that whenever I've, um, I, I wrote a post about, I think it's called, uh, me versus Instagram me that I think was resonated with a lot of people. Like whenever we talk about publishing or the process of, of sort of what you, what you lose in the process and the vulnerability that comes, uh, I think it resonates with a lot of people because we all have uh, feelings that are really also plugged into the world of Instagram or Twitter or, you know, social media and brand and what that even means and how gross that word still sounds in a lot of ways. Um, I just also have been thinking about how I've been uh, very focused on the process of publishing. You know, I woke up a few months ago with a book idea and, you know, I, you know, I had like a, like a high school level crush on the idea. Then I was like obsessed with it, thinking about it constantly. I started reading everything. I read um, Courtney Mom's Before and After the Book Deal. I read a lot of Murray and Roach Smith's uh, sort of uh, courses about how to pitch nonprofit, how to pitch, I'm sorry, narrative nonfiction and Jane Friedman, and then I read uh, Betsy Lerner's Forest for the Trees, uh, a really great book about kind of why writers write. And as you were talking, I thought of this quote that really cuts to the bone where she says, um, I can assure you that you will never finish any piece of writing if you don't understand what motivates you to write it in the first place. And if you don't honor that impulse, whether it's exile or assimilation, 
redemption or destruction, revenge or love. And it just, as you were talking about the kind of emotional um, ups and downs attached to publishing and to pitching and publishing and identity, I just thought about just going back to the beginning of our conversation, if if you don't have a good answer for why you're writing, then then it's just going to fall apart, apart pretty quickly when you try to start sharing it, if it's for a, either the wrong reason or a reason you're not sure about. Um, for me, it always has to be about trying to serve the reader um, and thinking about how I might actually be encouraging or helpful to somebody. Yeah, well, there's going to be more, I think, here in a, in a bit about that. And we also need to talk about impression management, which you've touched on. Mm. But before, before we do, I want to talk a little bit more about just navigating practicalities and hard realities, which we won't spend too much time in the nuts and bolts of, of the world of publishing. But there is a tension that you've alluded to between what you want to write. Sometimes people will describe this as what they need to write, things that you really care about, issues, stories, what have you, and then what you can, on the other hand, actually get published. Um, how do you navigate that tension? How do you navigate trying to maintain, you know, the integrity of any given story that you're writing, while also, you know, being eyes wide open about the kinds of publications that will take the kinds of stories that that you're pitching? And even then, you know, in terms of working with editors, like what it is that you're willing to sacrifice, which babies you're willing to kill and, and kind of which hills you're going to die on in terms of the ultimate content of something you do publish? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I mean, I think as the, I think the sort of central question is, is am I writing something that I think somebody needs to hear? Or am I writing the thing that I think is going to sell? Uh, the latter always feels gross. Um, and so I, it, it really depends on what kind of writer you are. I mean, I think for some of us, we want to see our name on a book. Um, and for some of us, we want to pitch that we want to pitch the kind of things that editors are buying. And I actually don't think that there's an ethical or moral reason why that's wrong. Um, so, you know, if you're trying to be the next Rachel Hollis, um, then that's something that I think you should be honest with yourself about and pursue. And I think that that's fine. Um, I think for the sort of middle middle folks, maybe like you and me, the kind of folks that have that might be um, a little less at home in uh, sort of traditional, maybe Christian publisher publisher, and then maybe a little too a little too Christiany for a. <laughs> I'm not sure if too Christian is the right term, but a little too uh, faith based for kind of a big five New York house. There's really um, there's really a lot of questions that come up about scale and about resonance. And um, so for me, I, I would think um, about whether or not I could write or pitch something uh, for the Washington Post that, that would make it clear that I still do have a relationship with Jesus, even if um, that means that people, I need to work through some assumptions about what folks might think when they would read that in an article, uh, assuming it would be accepted, you know, in a world where um, 20% of evangelicals didn't vote for Trump, you know, so I think about those pieces a little bit. And uh, uh, for me, it's really trying to be, it's really trying to be smart and understand the industry and um, understanding pitching and saying something I really feel and believe and try to um, get comfortable with the uncomfortable feeling that there might not be kind of a clear home for the kind of message that you want to, to send and and see if starting smaller is okay and uh, and sort of questioning if that feels like success or if you're possibly uh, 
thinking about success in too narrow of a way. I mean, honestly, Ben, I think some people write books and they don't need to publish them, but they're for their families or they're for themselves. And I think other people can self-publish books because they don't want to compromise certain pieces. Um, and that's a really lovely and sometimes very brave thing to do, uh, giving up the myth of the advance and uh, and sort of pursuing a different a different course. And I think sometimes we really can find homes either in secular or Christian houses with editors and agents that really see and believe in our vision and our unique perspective and really stand by it. So it seems to be a very individual uh, situation and a case-by-case thing from just my own experience and the experience of some friends. Yeah, it's, it is always fascinating to me when I come across uh, a, a piece of writing that is very explicitly Christian um, or about Christianity, well, you know, either someone something that's written by an avowed Christian or is a relatively positive or sympathetic take on some aspect of Christianity in a major or prestigious magazine. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, like gives the lie to the idea that it's not possible at all, but it certainly can feel like the options are limited. How has... How has the desire or the attempt to both, you know, just openly identify as a Christian and, and write as a Christian about Christian topics played out in your writing life? Has that opened doors for you? Is that something that has cost you anything in terms of your, your overall writing life? What, what, how has that aspect of your writing gone? Yeah, I mean, this is a pretty central part of my story for the past couple of years. I, you know, uh, uh, when I moved to Seattle, I worked for a, a pub art book, an art book publisher for a little while. I did um, marketing and media and image work, and then went on my own for about five years to do content writing and freelancing. And I, you know, I did some fun stuff, like I managed Asthmatic Kitty social media and did some fun music writing and just pieced it together. Um, but in that time, there was a, a opening at the local alt weekly, the Seattle weekly to start writing a weekly blog about food. Um, and then that became a daily thing. So I kind of quickly found some footing in the, the food community and, uh, ended up working as an editor at Eater Seattle, which is Eater's owned by Vox and based in New York, but there's some city sites. I think there's an Eater in Portland where you are. Uh, so I had a, a wild year a few years ago. Um, writing up to six articles a day, just pumping out content like a machine, which was very fun and not totally sustainable with me having a young a young kid at the time, um, but was really um, getting a lot of pitches. And it was valuable for me because I began to understand how to pitch and what it was like to be the editor receiving stories. And that was that was really, really great. But you know, I began to get uh, more and more connected in, um, in in food media. I was writing about coffee. And then, you know, I started pitching to food and wine and getting um, some great bylines in some other really fun food publications. So that was a pretty clear through line for me. Um, but in 2016, uh, when Trump was elected, I began writing um, just on my own about a lot of ideas around faith and culture and po- American politics and uh had a lot of fear about um, sharing that writing publicly to to colleagues that were working um, in media spaces here in Seattle, and then also just to contacts um, that I had professionally and also in grad school. Um, so I had a um, a moment where I, I just visualized this brown couch we had in our living room, and I just thought of people that were holding me back from sharing this writing about faith and culture. Um, 
I just sort of pictured people in my head one by one. And I just imagined them knowing, oh, Sarah isn't writing about food. She's writing about Christianity. Sarah's a Christian. And I just, you know, <laughs> it began to become quite clear quite quickly that for me, it was sort of self-aggrandized to think that people would really care. Um, like maybe at a cocktail party or at dinner with their family, somebody might say, oh, I didn't know that Sarah was was a Presbyterian, you know, um, but like it's so I, I just kind of got over it pretty fast and realized that uh, sharing this kind of writing, which was really the thing I had been thinking about and talking about all the time at home and with friends was um, if I didn't, it would feel kind of like a disservice to me, almost like I was um, kind of missing a calling or a, a real pool that I, I felt like I couldn't sort of pass anymore. So my, my life had sort of quickly had a dichotomy in Seattle of sort of my public life, um, whatever that means. I mean that lightly, but you know, my life um, in journalism or writing or professionally, and then my Sunday life at church. And so for me, it was really uh, looking at the couch of critics and just publishing the first piece of writing a couple years ago was really a kind of declaration of actually, this is, this is who I am. And I don't, you know, and whatever it costs me, I'm kind of willing to take that vulnerability and, you know, I'll say and that people have been so gracious and there's been a little bit of ghosting, but not a lot. And at least that I know of, and people have been really lovely. And, um, and I do think that then, uh, being able to pitch to publications that maybe I wouldn't have thought to before, like Christianity Today or Sojourners or some other places has just felt a lot more natural. But I'll say that, you know, I lost several years kind of writing about what ne wasn't necessarily in my, like in my sort of central thought life and prayer life, but was more kind of what I was doing for work and because it was fun and because I love food. So I guess I would just say to listeners, if, if there's a, a certain vertical that you want to write about or a certain space that there's fear around, uh, that probably is a good sign that it makes sense to pursue it and push through it because that's probably where the sort of beginning of your messages that folks need to hear. That's kind of how you start finding your reader. Yeah, the, uh, you have a piece in Christianity Today that is more generally about, I think you couch it in terms of like a, a New Year's resolution that you made at one point to just be more open yeah. generally in life with people about your Christian faith. Yeah, that's right. Obvious consequences for or or decisions that that would beg in your, in your writing life. But yeah, I mean, in that, it's nice to hear that it's for you been not incredibly painful because maybe it was relatively soon after that decision that you wrote it, but I, I felt like there was there was a little bit more weightiness um, in that piece because the maybe the the ghosting that you referred to was a little fresher, but there were a couple examples you gave of yeah, just you know awkward <laughs> coffees or pizza dates with people who you who you acknowledge your faith to and are open with and are just kind of shut down and yeah, and uh, the, the conversation yep. goes dead and that's the last you ever hear from that person. So that's hard. That's not not something we should gloss over. There is a that's that isn't that does not feel good. It's not it's not martyrdom, but it is a cost. Yep, that's right. There was a happy hour with a frosé. They just kind of melted in glasses with a. <laughs> I'm just using a 2020 reference. Yep, the frosé happy hour was also it comes to mind. There there were a few, and they they were and are painful. Uh, but for me, the sort of wholeheartedness, wholeheartedness that I feel as a writer and the way that identity has come together um, has certainly made it worth it, even though there have been some challenging interpersonal things that have come up for sure. Yeah. The, um, I think probably the last quote that I'll, that I'll give from your 
Uh, maybe one of the last. There's a lot of good ones still. But I mean, on that front, you say in this, again, in, in your essay, The Irresistible Peril of Publishing, you acknowledge, quote, how I make decisions and interact in the world and think through ethics and culture is plainly rooted in the teachings of Jesus. I know how that sounds and what cultural currency it could cost me in some circles. But I also know that when you write honestly, cards face up about where you're coming from, people tend to make space for you. I think that's that's optimistic and generous, and I'm and I and I'm not glass half empty about that. I think that's I think that's true, um, or can be. And but I also do think it requires a kind of courage, um, and a, and a leap of faith, which is which is worth taking, but is. Yeah, it's there. There's uncertainty. There's uncertainty with everything, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, the life of the writer. Mm-hmm. I do want to go back to the idea of 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 why write um, in general, um, just to touch on the way that you end the essay, which is both talking about essentially writing for other Christians and acknowledging kind of the the deepest uh, element or kind of floor of your own motivation as being uh, practice as opposed to what you call career. You say, as a Christian, I believe we need people to write about faith and culture in spite of the emotional toll that the publishing process may bring, which I I don't know that I've ever heard someone articulate that. And it may be beating a dead horse at this point, but I I really do think that most people, uh, you know, in in a day and age when all of us read constantly, certainly like middle class, upper middle class, people of a certain kind of aesthetic predisposition. Um, you know, we're, we're reading stuff on websites constantly, but I think most people just, yeah, don't, uh, don't have occasion to understand the emotional toll that, that even just getting that thing onto that website for them to read, um, while they're going to the bathroom is (laughs) entails. And so that, 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 that there is, it's not, you know, not, I'm not going to say that it's a ministry, although maybe you could describe it that way. Um, but there's, there is, um, yeah, whether it's calling or vocation or however we want to talk about it, to encourage other people through our writing is something that does not, not only does it not come easy, it doesn't come, it doesn't come cheaply on any number of levels. Um, and then you conclude by saying, what if writing is never a career for most of us, but a practice that chooses us and encourages many? Wow. What a beautiful, what a beautiful thought. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think that that means, uh, for me, I want to choose to, to not be cynical and be hopeful that, that that space exists. Um, I think that, uh, Jesus chose not to be cynical. He put himself in the way of harm, you know, for the sake of love. And so every time I'm tempted to be cynical, which is quite often when it comes to the reason to write and the ultimate outcome of writing and who sees, who sees that work, because of course we write because we want people we share our writing because we want people to see it. But, you know, regardless of who does or doesn't see any of it, I just, I think choosing to be honest about who we are and what we're called to do and choosing to hope that it will resonate, even if it's with two people, um, is is worthwhile and is valid. So I think that I choose to not be cynical and to, to find hope that that is a good and true calling. Um, but it stings and it's hard when it doesn't resonate, you know. So there's two sides to the coin. So I'm not a Pollyanna about it, but I'm also just choosing with eyes wide open, I suppose, to, to hope and, and believe that even if, even if it's a small story, uh, that it, that it would, would resonate. And also if there's ever a chance to tell other people's stories that are a lot more interesting than mine, that maybe that would last 
last beyond me too, um, or, or bless somebody else. So that comes to mind. That comes to mind too. I think part of working through my own frustration, um, or, or I know that part of where it has led me to more recently in my life it is, it can, it, I think it can be encapsulated or sort of gotten at through uh, an image or a metaphor that Alan Jacobs, he's a professor at Baylor. He's in his early 60s. He's written many books. Um, but he has an image that he sometimes will come back to in his writing of tending a garden. So whatever, in general, whatever your life's work is, um, the idea of the Christian's calling as being that of the gardener who tends their little garden and doesn't worry about those things in the larger world they can't control. He's he's also really into Lord of the Rings metaphors. So he'll he uses he talks about Gandalf a lot. But yeah, the you know the Shire or Sam Gamgee, the gardener, if you've if you've read those books. But the generally this idea of, you know, you have this small relatively small sphere of influence if you're 99.9% of the people on the surface of the earth. And what are you going to do with that which is right in front of you? What 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 are you going to um, just kind of, you know, how can you find peace through accepting the, the limits of that sphere and just focusing on the work, whatever it is, for its own sake? For years, for whatever reason, kind of hard for that to penetrate my, my soul. But, but lately, it's been working its way in in a way that's that's really freeing. I think in conjunction with this this other initially macabre, sort of totally depressing, but ultimately just undeniable reality that has also been sinking in over time, which is that people, generally speaking, like nobody's going to read my work. And even if I hit the lottery and published a bunch of books that sold millions of copies, nobody will be reading it 100 years from now. Nobody's going to be reading David Baldacci books uh, 100 years from now, or James Patterson or John Grisham. They're just they're not. Um, I, Michael Chabon, who I'm, who's one of my all-time faves and with whom I'm obsessed, had a great collection of essays on fatherhood a few years ago um, that came out. And the introduc- in the introduction, he explains how he uh, received what he now considers to be terrible advice from a really famous author who he graciously does not name at a party when he was just starting out his career, who said, don't, or, you know, be careful, don't have kids. Every kid that you have is a is a book that you won't write. And Shabon is basically, who has four kids and is sort of seems to be a relatively doting father, was basically like, yeah, you know, nobody's, nobody's going to be reading me a hundred years from now. And also my books uh, can't hug me. Like when I'm done with them, they're just, that's it, I'm done. And it just seemed, you know, th- those two things in conjunction, the idea of the, the garden and the idea of um, just accepting that that for me the swiss cheesy hole of really of like mortality that is one of the things i think i've on some fantasy level wanted to maybe to sort of plug with writing the idea that we could somehow beat that back or make contact with it with the future generation is probably not a good place to put my hope have actually again in conjunction i think slowly slowly led to just a little bit more peace and and in a kind of paradox brought me back to a place where i can uh, except the the things that I that I do have skill in as regards my writing and the ways in which it has been um, an encouragement to other people and just kind of find a simpler, more unfettered joy in my own writing. Yeah, I think that's so good and right. I mean, it seems like where I kind of have come to with that is the point is to try to encourage people right now, especially in our current cultural moment, you know, to be strengthened, to keep the faith, to take risks, to be, to be brave, um, to kind of counter the 
narrative of people leaving the church that do get a lot of um, a lot of clicks and that does get a lot of um, resonance uh, to, to know that even if there's not many of us out there and we're not as loud as some other people that we're here and there's a community of us, you know, I, I call us orphaned believers or people in a kind of middle space that um, that love Jesus, even though we know what it costs us, you know, and so I, I think that I, I'm obsessed with publishing the publishing process and writing about that industry and about brand. And I, I think it resonates so much, but in a way, I think for me, I also have a fear of just starting, like just writing the book, you know, just, just, I think it's sort of self-protection for me, at least to sort of, to sort of think about it instead of accept the vulnerability of completing a book proposal. I, I kind of preempt disappointment by thinking through the industry or feel like I could control or understand parts of it more. And really the kind of vulnerability that's required, you, you can't get around. There's no, there's no free pass. Um, so I've kind of accepted the fact that failure may come, but that there's plenty of room at the table for, you know, your voice and my voice. And I just don't believe in scarcity when it comes to people of faith writing about these issues. Um, especially if it feels a little outside, uh, what might be an easy yes for a Christian publisher or a sort of New York publisher. And, you know, I just believe in beginning where you are in spite of imposter syndrome, in spite of a crowded market, in spite of a high probability of failure. And, you know, maybe you'll surprise yourself and maybe everybody will be encouraged along the way, you know. So, so that's kind of where I've, where I've landed in the last few months, at least. Well, I... I feel like we could probably go on for forever, but before we wrap up, I, I'll i just conclude by referencing uh, an, actually an interview that I did earlier this season with a guy named Daniel Taylor, who's, um, he's towards the end of his career now. I think he's in his early 70s. He was a, a professor for decades and wrote a book called The Myth of Certainty, which I loved. Um, and in the course of talking with him about why he writes, he said something that really stuck with me. He said, I write something to the effect of, he said, I write for kindred spirits and I don't know who they are. So, you know, the idea of putting a message in a bottle, a book is a kind of message in a bottle that comes, uh, comes to us from across the ocean of time, of culture, of actual physical distance, you know, maybe from an author in another country or from across our own country. And, that is so wild uh, and encouraging an experience. I think perhaps sometimes, especially when we encounter work that does seem sort of obscure or is clearly, you know, not something that the general populace has resonated with. Uh, and then we we feel that connection and it's and it creates such a strong sense of connection with with that other human being who wrote that. And yeah, I'll just I'll just tell you that when I read this essay of yours I, that night, I was then like thinking, still thinking about it. I, I opened it again on my phone and my wife was lying in bed next to me. Neither of us had fallen asleep. And I was like, this essay is amazing. It is blowing <laughs> my mind. This woman, I have to talk to this woman. This is like so encouraging. So thank you so much for putting that out there. It was uh, just hugely encouraging and it's wonderful to talk with you. Ben, I've loved this conversation and I could talk about it all day long. Publishing is, is a wild world and it's so fun to chat a little bit. Thank you for having me. Well, I've gone ahead and added links to a couple of Sarah's essays as well as Extasis Magazine and her personal site in the show notes. 
Thanks as always for listening. And if you've got a thought or question you want to send me, it's ben.j.bishop at gmail.com. Talk to you next week.